Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's really exciting, you know, and, and the, the Kingdom stuff is, is quite, I suppose it could say it's almost quite heavy in, in teaching and um, I've really enjoyed exploring this and as we look at this advanced theme. And last week we started on a journey sort of looking at what the kingdom of God really is. And it's sort of the sense of the leadership at the minute is just to grab hold of this chaos moment, the moment we're in, as we want to see the advance of the kingdom into our city. So it's a really important moment. And yet at the same time, there has been a concern for us as a leadership that the teachings of Jesus and the understanding of the kingdom of God gets distorted and twisted with personal and even national ideologies. And so um, it's the job of the elders, the leaders of the local church, it's the job to keep the church true to the apostles' doctrine, and um, which essentially is the teachings of Jesus. And that's what we are really trying to do. Because if you get it wrong in a little bit, see, if you get it right in a little bit, it is, it is, the, the micro affects the macro. And it's the same the other way around. I read a, a story recently about a university in America, that a university of physics that did this trial back in the 80s, actually, and they did this thing with a little domino the size of a SIM card, which is about five mil deep and one millimeter thick. And using this little SIM card of a domino, they, they went, they doubled the size of the domino 13 times. And by the time they got to the 13th domino, it was over a meter, probably about the height of that table. It was over a meter high, and it weighed 100 pounds. And then what the guy did was he took a little um, uh, pair of metal forceps, and he placed the, the little SIM card at the beginning and toppled it, and it toppled the next one, the next one, the next one, and eventually the 13th one went down with a loud bang. But what he told was, he said, if he had expanded that to 29, if he had went to 29 dominoes, the 29th domino would have been the height of the Empire State Building, which is about 1,500 feet. And that little five-millimeter SIM card would have toppled that. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Pretty powerful. And so that's why it's so important to get the little things right. When you're trying to get your life right, the best way to start with that is get your day right. (laughs) Sometimes we're too busy trying to fix the macro, we forget about the micro. And so it's really important. This is why these things are really important. Someone once said that the local church always performs the gospel it proclaims. And so that's why it's important we get it right. We want to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, not a false gospel circulating in the world and so common in the church today. So it's uh, last week I give you an overview of the big picture, the big story of God, um, and introduced you to the topic of the kingdom of God. And uh, we did this uh, because we wanted to make clear the intention of God from the beginning was to bring His loving rule and reign to planet Earth. Remember, this was the commission of Eden. And I started in Genesis 1, and I finished in Revelation 21. And um, someone remarked that they couldn't believe that I left Revelation 22 out. 
But there you go. I, I, I tried to give you a broad sweep of what the kingdom really looks like and the power of God. And we explained that despite the problem of sin um, and the fact that the sin has led humankind to build their own kingdoms, the dream of God always remained the same. The dream of God was the marriage of heaven and earth. It was to bring heaven to earth. It never failed. It never stopped. It never stopped in the heart of God. And we looked at that. We looked at that through so many stories where heaven and earth interlocked. And there's so many tangents. We could go on this. We talked last week about Jacob's ladder, which was a very powerful one, from earth to heaven reaching this interlocking, the tabernacle, God coming and dwelling on earth. On and on we could go. And the God story we sort of revealed at the end of the Old Testament had showed that humankind could not set up this kingdom on their own. They just couldn't do it. And so God needed to do something that we couldn't do for ourselves um, because we were too deceived and tempted into building our own kingdoms. That's where man kept going. And so Jesus was coming, essentially saying, I am coming to set up the kingdom of heaven on earth in a permanent and irreversible way. And I'm also going, to, also going to do something about the opposing kingdom of darkness. I'm going to bring it to naught and I'm going to destroy it completely through the power of the cross. And so we saw this, that Jesus came declaring, Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. He talked about it. It was a sort of um, main thing that he kept talking about. And we saw how Jesus gave this sort of... Um, uh, Government manifesto, you know, whenever uh, someone goes to take office or a new party comes into power, they give sort of their manifesto, they give what they're going to do, how they're going to change. And um, we saw how Jesus arrived um, at church, at syn synagogue on the Sabbath day. We saw this in Luke 4. And um, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah to read. And, and so he was handed this book out of Isaiah 61, and he found the place where it was written, and it said this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom of the, for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the tent and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, I often wonder about that. He read it, I think, with such authority. He read it with such a difference, and they'd have been very, very familiar with this passage. They would have known this passage more well. But then Jesus drops this bomb at the end, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the manifesto of the government of heaven. This is, the, this is what this, this person is going to do in his term in office and that term in office has never ended. He is still in office. And of course, needless to say, if it's his manifesto, then we are the subjects of his kingdom, so it becomes our manifesto. And so um, last week, that's what we sort of centered our whole talk around. This week, I want to talk to you about the method. How, what was the method of this kingdom? How did it? And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the message. And then Dave's going to be coming next Sunday, and he's going to talk to you about the mission of Jesus. Sorry for all the M's, but it has to be that way. Um, so first of all, let me talk to you about, the, uh, about Jesus's method, all right? Jesus's method was, uh, of the kingdom was relationship. It was relationship. This shouldn't be a surprise. God, who is the eternal family of love himself, expresses who he is in loving 
relationship. This, is, this was just what Jesus' life was all about. And his method for establishing the way of the kingdom was twofold. Firstly, it was in relationship with the Father. He was always in partnership with the Father. And so over and over again, we see this. And secondly, it was alongside his friends. But firstly, looking at the partnership with the Father, Jesus' ministry was always characterized by this. He was always doing the will of the Father. And we see this over and over again, just to throw you up a, a few verses. John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Um, John 14, but um, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commands me. I love this one. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And then um, I and the Father are one, as he says in John 10, verse 1. So Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who shared intimacy with the Father in heaven, has now laid aside his majesty. He's now veiled his glory. We used to sing that, he laid aside his majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those he had created. And so he laid aside his majesty, he is the king of kings, he veils his glory, but even in that he continues to walk in intimacy with the Father. And Jesus shows us that the way we walk the kingdom way is in intimacy with the Father. This is a challenge to the busyness of our lives and to leaders who often walk away from the place of silence and solitude to the noise of the crowds. And so we often get up and leave solitude. We, we haven't time for solitude because we're so busy drawn to the crowds. Jesus loved the crowds. But every time you read about him, he's always trying to withdraw from the crowd. <laughs> we're always trying to go towards them. Um, Jesus was always trying to get away from them in some shape or form. And he was always trying to get into intimacy with the Father. And so that's really important to understand. The second thing was he was always drawing friends into that friendship, into that partnership. He even did this in the Lord's Prayer when he said, when you pray, pray like this, say, our Father, our, yours and mine. It's not just, you just don't pray to my Father, but pray to our Father, overflowing with the relationship with his Father, with this loving, or this loving friendship with his people, and no more is that betrayed in the, in the relationship with his disciples. And um, through this, Jesus was building a vision for a kingdom family. This was a foretaste of what we would come to know as the church. Imagine, I was thinking about this last night, imagine the community at Pentecost when Jesus ascended. Imagine the disciples and his mother Mary and, and his brothers and sisters and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Nicodemus, etc., etc. Jesus was building a family and the coming of the kingdom was not a vague, floaty concept. It wasn't misty or unclear. It was rooted and revealed in people. The kingdom grows at the speed of relationship. The kingdom grows at the speed of relationship. And so Jesus always wanted a kingdom family, and the kingdom looked like an alternative community that embodied the ways of Jesus. So the manifesto that he gave became their manifesto, and so they would just do exactly what he was to do. And one of the best passages, I think, to link that relational flow, um, the vertical with the Father to the horizontal with the um, his friends is really important because Jesus had that balance. He had intimacy with the Father and he had involvement with people. 
And I said this to somebody this week, you know, we all know loads of people who need to go up the mountain and spend time with Father. We all, self-included. You know, but I, I actually know some people it would be a good idea if that sometime they would come down the mountain and get involved with community, get involved with people. And Jesus had that balance. He had that life. And so this passage in John 15 is very powerful. Now, I've in, uh, interjected little bits of it. I haven't put the whole thing in there. But he says in verse 1, I am the true vine and the Father is the gardener. And then on in the chapter, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he goes on and he says, greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command And he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. The picture of Jesus as the vine and the father as the gardener and the disciples as the branches connects all together in such a beautiful image. This is a way of the kingdom. It's just pretty explicit language. And we often, we, we like to say here around when we are doing Grow and Ignite that you're um, loved by a father and formed in a family. Loved by a father and formed in a family of which Jesus is the foundation. And the family, by the way, is not just our biological families, wonderful as they are, but in the kingdom, the bloodlines get blurred in a good way. You see, here's the thing. Um, uh, Jesus reminded us of this whenever his mom and brothers and sisters came and said, go in and tell him his mom and his brothers and sisters are here. And Jesus says this wonderful thing. He says, well, who are my, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who's my sister? And then he goes like this. He says, you are my mother. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. And, and I love that. And, and here's, the, here's the thing, guys. I hate to tell you this, but you're stuck with me. I am your brother. Whether you like me or whether you don't, I am your brother. And you're going to have to live with me for all eternity. Now, the good thing is, of good, good news, there's going to be an upgrade somewhere along the way. And I'm sure you're really glad about that, and I'm really glad about that. But this is a thing. We, we, we are, we, as a family, we are called to advance. We are called to take hold of something. We need to rise up as men and women that are not afraid to fight the good fight of faith, not to just sit in our comfortable homes and complain about the plight of the world. We need to arm up and let's go into the highways and byways and compel them. That word actually means bring by force compel them into our family. Let's be warriors that rise up and rewrite the story of a field city and see the kingdom of God explode in our day. That's the vision. That was Jesus' vision in his manifesto, and that is our vision. I want to talk to you now for the last little bit about Jesus' message. Um, His method was just partnership, family, loving people, reaching out to the broken, the derelict, the lost. That was, his, that was his method. His message was repent. 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance, the word for repentance is metanoia in the New Testament, which means to um, change one's mind, not just change a mind, but go a different direction. It's a complete turnaround and going a different way. And we read in the book of Matthew that the, the first words of John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry are the exact same, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is saying, I will literally turn your life around if you allow me. If you let me, I will come and make your heart my home. That, that's the message of the kingdom. I will come and make your heart my home. And so this call of Jesus is a call to radical discipleship, radical discipleship. And this is what the word repent gets at. It's the call to let go of every other idol, every other thing that is not for our, our highest and greatest good and to embrace the Jesus way. That's the message of the kingdom. And the theme of dying to self in order that maybe May, we may truly find the kingdom is the very core of the kingdom message. This is the very core of what it is. Life comes through um, us dying to ourselves and, and dying to our own little kingdoms and getting off the throne of our hearts and stop controlling our own destination, our own lives, and acknowledging him as the king of our life. That's the kingdom message. Entry into the kingdom is not a prayer you pray to enter heaven. It is a much deeper meaning that if you study this, it's a very powerful study. Um, uh, to bring this out, it's helpful to understand the two words gospel and kingdom. And they're mentioned in one verse actually in Luke 4, 43. I must proclaim the good news, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God to, which, uh, to the other towns, um, he says, because this is why I was sent. Now, the word gospel just simply means good news, and the kingdom was good news, and the word for gospel in the Greek is the word, you like this, is the word evangelon, and the, it's, it's where we get our English word evangelism from, obviously, and it's a, it's a military word. It's a, a military word that, that was used to announce that a new king had established victory and, and a reign in a town. So it was a code for, it was like announcement that your king has come. That's what evangelon means. It, it was the good news of the kingdom. Your king has come. There's a new king in town. And this was the point. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, it was to be understood in the context of a royal announcement. He was making a royal announcement that he hadn't come to take sides. He had come to take over. He hadn't come to take sides. He had come to take over. And so there was a the revolutionary language of this New Testament implied the important theme of allegiance. Who, where, where does your allegiance lie? Does it, does it lie with self? The idea of pledging allegiance to your king above all other kings, he's saying you just can't have split loyalties here. This is where it must go. Jesus is king. Jesus is the Lord. Therefore, we repent for worshiping other kings, often our own selves as king, and worship and follow King Jesus. So when we repent, we let go of everything that's not for our highest good, and we turn our life around, and we change our thinking and our mindset. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what Acts 2 revealed. This, Acts 2 was revealing this community of people that were beginning to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. This was the church. And this is why Jesus told stories and parables, because he was trying to shock 
the people out of their old mindsets. The religious spirit had really bound people into a religious mindset. And Jesus was saying something new was taking place because Jesus, the king, had arrived. And I love this. And the Pharisees and those around them had become so obsessed with keeping the law that they'd allowed the love to just get away from them in some shape or form. And uh, I love one of the stories that Jesus told was the story of the Good Samaritan. It's probably in Luke 10. It's probably one of the ones that we know best, the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is probably um, because it was about the law of compassion, which almost should be obvious to us. It's almost like an obvious story. And first of all, we have this scholar of the law. What happened in the story? I have some of the little extracts of the verse of the chapter. Of this, this, this sort of lawyer, young lawyer, was trying to trick Jesus a little bit. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus answers it with a question. And he says, well, what's written in the law? And... Um, the answer the guy gives is perfect. He puts together the two greatest commandments exactly as Jesus himself would do, love God and love your neighbor. He answered perfectly. And, and Jesus then says to him, well, you've answered your own question. Do this and live. And then he, now he's, he's panicking a little bit. And so he tries to self-justify um, why he's asking these questions. And he asks this big question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And to which uh, the, Jesus tells this beautiful story that we call the story of the Good Samaritan. And we all know that Samaritans were outright enemies to God, or outright enemies to the Jews. And so Jesus picks this bad guy and makes him the good guy. <laughs> I love this. And in the story, this man is coming down from Jerusalem. He fell into a victim to robbers. They leave him half dead. A priest and a temple assistant were going down the same road, passed by on the other side. Now hear me, priests and Levites had to maintain ritual purity. And in Judaism at this time, touching a dead body made a person ritually impure. And perhaps this is the reason that these two men walked by. They were not necessarily bad people. They were just trying to maintain ritual purity so they could enter the temple. They were just staying religious. They were just being true to their religion. And their religion prevented them from showing compassion. Awful, isn't it? They become so religious that they couldn't show compassion. And this is part of the point of the story. It's like Jesus saying, that's just wrong. That is wrong. Love is more important than ritual purity. And these men want to be pure and do their priestly works. So they pass up the chance to love an ordinary human being in need. It's just pretty brutal, isn't it? And the Samaritan who came by, he was moved. He bandages the wounds. He takes him to an inn. He... He promises to pay any more money that's spent than what he's already paid. And he just goes to the utmost degree to show compassion to what Jesus simply asked the scholar who's trying to justify himself. Which of these three was neighbor to the wounded man? And his response is right. I suppose, he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The manifesto of heaven the method of heaven, the message of heaven all comes out. This is what Jesus is doing in this beautiful story. He's defining what loving our neighbor should look like, and it is the concrete practice of love and care. It's, it's, it's simple. It's really simple. Um, and we already know this law of compassion because it's written in our hearts. 
But just so often we get so religious and we get so much tied up in our duties that we actually miss the main thing. And so as um, Reggie Dias or however you pronounce his name says, I love this little statement. He says, the gospel is not simply our ticket to get out of earth and into heaven, but our ticket into a renewed community whose mission is to give expression of the kingdom of heaven on earth. May heaven come to earth as Warwick started off with us earlier on. And the final thing I want to say about repentance is this. It's an ongoing thing. It's a work in progress. Just in case you think you've arrived. Um, Because often I find that people have prayed a prayer of salvation and think that there's no more repenting to be done. And that's wrong. That is so wrong. It's only when we repent that we see and experience the kingdom of God. And somebody once said this, often Christians repent enough to be forgiven and not enough to see the kingdom. We just repent enough to get through. We just, we, we're, we're just interested in the passport. But you see, Jesus is interested in your driving license. And sometimes we hear this, well, I've been saved 40 years. Well, bully for you. What's your relationship with Jesus like right now? Have you spent time with him today? Because he's more interested in your driving license than he is in your passport. And so this idea, we want to be a church who see the kingdom every day at hand amongst us. And so therefore, we keep turning our face to Jesus, we keep our hearts soft, and we keep short accounts with him. That's the only way I live. You see, you see if, if, you live, if you live your life, I said this to somebody recently, if you live your life thinking you're perfect or thinking you don't, you've nothing to repent for, you don't actually understand the grace of God. And I want to tell you something, as you're a pastor, I want to tell you something. I burn grace like my car burns diesel. Grace is my fuel to live by. I could not do this job. I could not be the person I am in any shape or form without the grace of God. Because I know I'm just a broken vessel. And I need his grace. I need his grace. And this is what happened. Jesus radicalized the law. He called people to reach down into their motives of their heart and beyond keeping the rules and selfish motivation to change from the inside out. You see, Jesus wasn't handing out tickets to heaven, folks, just in case you thought he was. He wasn't handing out tickets to heaven. He was rearranging the world around sacrificial love and he called it the kingdom of God. And that's why we're supposed to be the kingdom of God on earth. And this is such good news for us. And that's why Jesus talked about it a lot because he just wanted us to get it. He just wanted us to get it. And therefore, we repent daily. We change our thinking. He is the kingdom. He is the king. He is the expression. God is in rule. God's rule is here now on planet earth. And the good news is for life now. I heard someone say recently that it's good to know that all's well for eternity, all right? But what about life now? And then they put it this way. They said that I would rather have a car that runs well than good insurance and one that doesn't go at all. I'd rather have a car that goes well than just good insurance and one that doesn't go at all. And some of us are just using our ticket to heaven as our insurance. We think we're saved and so the world can go to hell. And that's not right. That's not right. We have a mandate from heaven and we, our mandate is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Johnny's going to come and finish us with a song. But as we do this, as we finish, I'll just, I, I want 
I, this, this message, I tell you, these last two messages, man, I've wept tears over these, and I've sat the wee small hours pondering over these. I actually recorded this yesterday on my voice recorder and listened to it all day. It's awful listening to yourself. But I just felt I needed to, I needed to hear this. I just felt like I needed to hear this. I needed to get this into my mind. I got up early this morning. I listened to it again. I listened to me. How woeful is that? And, um, but here, here's, here's the thing. We are living in a broken world. And the world is trying to do everything to keep itself safe except repent. The world is trying to do everything to keep itself safe at the moment except repent. And we have the message to save the world. We have the message to redeem the world. We have the message to rewrite the story of our broken city. So can I ask you this morning, is there something that you just need to repent of? Is it maybe just selfishness or self-centered things or just self-gratifying life that's just all about me and there's no real outward expression? And maybe the question this morning is, how can we make Jesus the king of our hearts all over again? How can we just make Jesus the king of our hearts all over again? And how can we just redeem our message for a broken world? Johnny's going to finish this in a song, and then Warwick will come and close us in prayer. But let me just pray for you now, just simply. God, say this word to our hearts, we pray. These are tough things. They're not just little preachy messages that make us feel good. These are big, deep, meaningful theologies that stir the kingdom into life in our lives. So God, may we repent of anything that has been set up as an idol in our lives. And God, may we reestablish you as the king in our hearts again, each and every one of us. God, that's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk